0: Hello and a very warm welcome to Take the Mic with me, Ketna Tanna. This is a podcast that welcomes you to share your story. Taking the mic today for our first episode is Nirani Walia. I met Nirani for the first time about 15 years ago and have seen her incredible journey since. As a result of a condition called spina bifida, Nirani has been a wheelchair user from a very young age. From employment to leisure and social activities, the discrimination faced by disabled people is truly widespread. Nirani, who's based in London, has, through her Instagram page, been working to normalise disability and break some of the typical views that people have in relation to those with disabilities. Nirani, a very warm welcome to Take the Mic. Thank you. How are you feeling?
1: I'm, I'm good. I'm very well. And I'm just, I'm really privileged that I'm on your podcast and I'm just so excited to share my experiences.
0: The privilege is definitely mine. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. To start off then, please could you tell us what spina bifida is and how long you've been a wheelchair user for?
1: Sure. So, spina bifida is a birth defect. Essentially, it's when the spine and the spinal cord haven't formed properly Um, I guess a layman term for it is a hole in the spine. So I've had the defect from birth, but I acquired my first wheelchair when I was five years old.
0: So that's before school even. What was your schooling experience like?
1: So schooling was really, really hard. Um, I couldn't go to a school um, of my choosing or my parents choosing purely due to a lack of wheelchair access. But even the schools I did attend, unfortunately, were not fully accessible. I think it was the middle school that I attended, I took art. And the art room, unfortunately, was upstairs. And they didn't have a lift put in. I don't know whether it was due to funding or the structure of the building. And I really wanted to take art. So I had to um, bum shuffle up the stairs.
0: I can't believe you had to bum shuffle up the stairs. I mean, did you or your family ever complain to the school?
1: I was quite young, so I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure my mum intervened. But, do you know, I think it's difficult as well because, um, you know, my, my dad's business is abroad in Nairobi. So my mum was, like, pretty much bringing us up on her own. And I think it's quite it's quite difficult. And I think for her, she was just so grateful that I was in school and a normal school and mixing with a range of people. and getting educated and I guess for me the only other option would have been to just not do the class which I didn't not want to do that I really wanted to do it for them they just saw it as there was no solution which is it's quite it's quite a shambles isn't it when you think about it what year was this in like calendar year I think that was late 90s
0: late 90s okay I asked this question because I couldn't believe that the first piece of legislation in England that covered discrimination faced by disabled people was the Disability Discrimination Act 1995, which was later replaced by the Equality Act 2010. These experiences that you're having in primary school um, were actually pre-legislation, so there was nothing in relation to anti-discrimination at the time. And I just, yeah, I mean, I can't believe what you had to go through. So aside from access, what were some of the other challenges that you faced in school? Aside
1: from the physical aspects, I did face a lot of bullying. Examples would include just being excluded for activities. When it came to like pee, playing rounders, for example, I would always be the last one pick. I wasn't invited to kind of the cool parties. No one would sit with me for lunch. Now I had a carer just to help me get around and you know like the example I just gave going up the stairs so I had someone with me 24 7 at school um so I would say yes school was particularly hard in primary and middle
0: how did you deal with the bullying
1: I didn't in all honesty I I didn't I think it's just easier sometimes to brush it away and I think with Asian culture if I use Asian but like a Indian background is quite common. I don't know about now, but I think back in the day, um, I think it's, it was quite common for parents and families. They, they don't really want to acknowledge these tricky subjects, do they? Like bullying, mental health. It's kind of just brushed under the carpet. I just thought this is this is normal. Um, you know, I'm different. And so this is just something that's going to come with the result of being disabled. So I just need to learn to deal with it I just have to become stronger I did try and um, speak to kind of teachers about it but nothing was really done
0: you know I feel this knot in my stomach just listening to those stories I mean did you find it difficult to accept that the wheelchair was something that was going to be a part of your life now
1: yeah, I think um, I found it really difficult. But when I was young, I really resented it. However, it, it's something that I've come to accept. But not only accept, I'm really happy being the way that I am. But growing up, it was really difficult because I have four able-bodied siblings. And it was really hard accepting that I was different. And it's also something because it was so visible. Also, when I was growing up, I think, I, you know, I was born in the 80s. I think think then it was still seen as a bit of a taboo, wasn't it? Or someone in a wheelchair, it kind of wasn't talked about or you'd kind of want to cover it up. I wanted to cover it up as well. And I was like, oh, I just need to kind of be friends with people that are not disabled. And that's the best way forward. But then if you think about it, that was a really lonely experience for me growing up. I really hate using this word, but I'm just going to use it because it's easy to explain. But I guess I wanted to be normal. And it wasn't just being different, having the wheelchair, but there's a lot that came with it. So growing up, I had to have a lot of surgeries. Um, As a result of those surgeries, I've got a lot of visible scars and they weren't always possible to cover up. You know, if I had to go swimming with school or PE lessons and, you know, schools, the dress codes were so strict. If we had to wear shorts, we had to wear shorts, for example. And, you know, kids are mean. Unfortunately, it's not just kids. Adults are quite mean as well. And if parents are not educating their children and making them aware, then the kids are just going to be mean. And maybe if they were familiar with it, or maybe if they had been taught by parents, oh, you know, if you are curious, why don't you ask about it rather than make fun or make comments, then it would make a big difference.
0: But it's not really your job to educate, is it? How do you draw the line between wanting to share experiences to raise awareness and being the person to educate others when they can do it themselves. I mean, you know, we all know the power of internet, books, personal journals on YouTube, you know, even podcasts such as this. So how do you draw the line?
1: I think with a lot of people with disabilities, they're not against answering questions or opening up, but it's the way people ask it. I think people have got to remember that there are some parts of people's lives that Are private and and they will remain private Uh, I guess in terms of educating for me I think it comes with the, the whole acceptance thing I think it's it's a really difficult subject I think before I would not have been talking to anyone like this on a podcast I would you know I wouldn't be as open it's really it's a difficult one you've asked me quite a tricky question to be honest (laughs) you've opened up but yeah it's a tricky question isn't
0: it it is a tricky question um but i think you're right though that it's about respecting people's boundaries and people only sharing what they're comfortable with and the person asking the question recognizing that there will be some elements that will always remain private so you mentioned earlier that not only have you accepted it now but you are happy the way you are so what led to that acceptance
1: Sure, before I kind of, I'm going to go on to that, but I think it's important to note that, yes, I have accepted it, but there are still difficult days. In terms of accepting, I think for me it was, I realized that life moves on no matter what, and no no one hangs back for you, if that makes sense. You either wallow or you need to get on with it. I made the latter choice as I really want to live a fulfilled life. I knew exactly the type of the life I wanted to live. And no one was going to make it happen for me. I had to make it happen for myself. So I think at that point, something went off. And I said, that's it. I'm not going to let my disability hold me back. Once I changed my attitude, life started taking a different turn, really.
0: Did anything in particular help you along the way with acceptance that people with disabled members in their family or circles listening to this can get an insight into?
1: You know, my family has never seen me as being different and treated me differently, especially my mum, Like, although she was like super protective, she still is. Um, she opened me up to so many opportunities. And even when we were growing up, I wasn't treated any differently. So I still had to do the chores, had to do um, help her with the cooking.
0: And I think that went a long way. So do you mind sharing a little bit about how you do your daily things like cooking, shower, etc.?
1: My current place that I live in is not 100% catered to my needs. However, it is very, very good. Um, I did have my kitchen adapted. And the reason being is I had to have everything at a lower height. And yeah. what most people won't realize is that normally um, in your kitchen, like say you'll have your cooker or your sink, etc., you will have units underneath. But I had to have it redone to remove all units because um, having the units removed means I can wheel my wheelchair underneath the tops. So now when I'm cooking on the hob, I can push my wheelchair underneath the unit, put the brakes on and cook. Same with going to the sink. The other thing that I've had to have done, because obviously there's not enough space, low level for all the cupboards. So I do have higher level cupboards, but I've got a contraption in them where i pull down the bar and the whole okay. of the inside of the cupboard comes down but again it does take quite a bit of um takes quite a bit of muscle to Sorry. pull it down and push it back up aside from that what people don't really think about and even it's really funny but my husband doesn't even he still doesn't think about it and i'm always having to go at him but Everything has to be kept at the edge for me to reach it. And of course, my husband just pushes the toaster right to the back. And so I'm like, I can't reach. Now, my bathroom isn't accessible and I didn't actually pay to get it done because I can, I can manage. So my shower has got like a glass door. And what I do is I've got a a seat in there like a shower seat and what what I'm able to do this I know not everyone's able to do this but I'm able to park my wheelchair next to the shower and transfer onto the shower seat however what people don't realize is that's really tricky because I then have to close the glass door
0: okay so you've just transferred yourself to the shower seat
1: yep so I'm on the shower seat and the, the door's open and the wheelchair's parked there so normally if I'm just having like a quick shower I will just have it but then there's the risk of the shower water spraying onto the chair or onto the floor but yeah. what I used to do is if I had to wash my hair for example and I knew the water would be going everywhere I'd have to push the wheelchair back and shut the door but then getting out I'd actually have to get onto the floor and then climb into the chair but another challenge I have in the bathroom which I, I think it's another thing that people won't think about is the mirror above the sink is so high that I can't look into it. And this is really, really annoying. So, you know, when I'm, like, brushing my teeth, washing my makeup off, putting a face mask on, I, it's, you know, either I have, a, like, a mirror that I carry around or I'm just using, like, the camera on my phone, which is, like, ridiculous. Even when I book into hotels and they're meant to be fully disabled, like, fully accessible, the mirror above the sink is always... Too high.
0: You're saying these stories of yours with so much joy. um, And I just think that that is testament to your own journey. Um, But also, these are little things that no one really thinks about. So I mentioned earlier that you live in London. Uh, Do you generally find that it's okay for people with limited mobility to get around?
1: So I think generally, public transport is better in London than a lot of other countries that I travel to. But there is so much work to be done. And I know, like, people say we're really lucky with our public transport here. But as a wheelchair user, I feel it's a bit of a shambles. Um, The only, I guess, I've just, let me start with a positive. I think when I'm traveling, the one thing that I found great is the Jubilee line. Um, And it goes from one of the main stations for me, which is Waterloo. So that is a fabulous line. However, which a lot of people won't notice this. So Westminster is on the Jubilee Line. Now, the Jubilee Line is meant to be fully accessible. That station is meant to be accessible. However, when you get off the train, the gap between the platform and the train is so big that if I was to wheel off it as normal, my front
0: wheels are so small that those wheels would go straight into the gap. Oh my gosh, those gaps are so huge. And in fact, even on the Met Line, um, what about the ramps? So... I mean, because it's because it's technically um, step-free,
1: um, they don't need to have a ramp for that particular line. However, for train stations where, you know, they've got where, you know, there's no step-free, there are ramps in place. And that is fabulous. That is a really good service. And I'm going to talk about assistance, but I'll say when there is assistance, it's fab. However, assistance is a big issue. So... I've been left stranded sometimes when the lifts have been out of order. I mean, there are so many examples, but I'll just pick one. My husband and I were coming home from somewhere on the train. We got to Wimbledon and they were like, oh, the lift's broken down. And they were like, oh, you need to get on the train. I don't know, go to some other station, Raines Park, then come back on yourselves. But we were like, that's not gonna work because both, both the lifts were out of order. So we're like, even if we come on the other platform, because often you can do that. You can get on the train, go back on yourself, come back on the other platform. But both the lists were out of order. And they were like, no, we can't do anything. So we're like, but we, we live here. And I think this was after the first kind of lockdown. So we were like, oh, my God, we, we can't even ask anyone for help because of all this, you know, touching and being in close proximity. Yeah, and we just said... Can- What is your contingency? We don't have a contingency. And it was in the evening. So we had to go home. And we're like, we can't. I mean, what do we do? Do we get a train into Central and go stay in a hotel for the night? And then, bless this guy, overheard. And he's like, you know what? I'm masked up. I'm gloved up. I'll help. Uh, He just said to Sam, you know, you take the back. I'll take the front. Otherwise, what are you guys going to do? But had he not intervened, I don't know what we would have done. But they just didn't. They didn't care. They didn't, they didn't care. So it's an ongoing um, battle for me because I thrive on being independent and this makes it really difficult. And I often hear people say, oh, but we're so lucky, you know, like um, the public transport system is so good in London, but that's not good enough. Like in this day and age, like we're 2021 20, now, everything should be accessible. I'm not being funny, but, you know, you wouldn't have a station and just say, you know... Um, there was an explosion and there was no stairs and they'd make, like, they would make an effort to make sure that station was up and running again. Like, if it was the other way around, they wouldn't let non-disabled people be inconvenienced in such a way. So why are they doing it for disabled people? It's like we're always an afterthought if you think about it.
0: I agree. If the shoe was on the other foot, this level of inconvenience to non-disabled people just wouldn't be reached. And it's the word that you said earlier, the afterthought, um And it's just really sad, isn't it? But it just goes to show just how much change is still needed. So we've been talking about travel and commuting to work pre-COVID. So do you want to share a little bit about what you do?
1: Okay, so um, I originally trained as a primary school teacher and then... Just over four years ago, I changed careers and I became an education recruitment consultant. It's not as fun as it sounds. No, no, I enjoy it. But yeah, basically, I um, recruit staff
0: for primary schools. So recruitment consultant by day and blogger by night. Um, Your Instagram page is called Girl Rolling About Town. And through that page, you are breaking the typical assumptions that people make with regards to disabled people. And you are also normalising disability. How did you decide on Girl Rolling About Town?
1: I wanted the name of the blog to kind of um, indicate what it's about. And rolling, you know, I'm on wheels, wheelchair user. And anyone that knows me, pre-COVID, I love being out and about. I'm a real social butterfly. So, um, yeah, Girl
0: Rolling About Town seemed very apt. So you clearly love fashion and regularly post outfits and accessories on your page. Tell us about your journey with fashion.
1: For me, um, someone had once said to me that, you know, you look so good for a wheelchair user. And I just, that really stuck with me. There is this kind of view that being glamorous, being fashion forward, it doesn't seem to go hand in hand um, for someone who is a wheelchair user who has a disability. And I'm kind of wanting to dispel that assumption. I love wearing quirky clothes. Um, I don't really follow trends. I like setting my own trends, but I love like dresses, jumpsuits, um, leather leggings. I'm not one for loungewear. However, that has seemed to change with lockdown and I'm all for, I'm trying to make loungewear look glamorous.
0: <laughs> well, when you figure it out, please do share your tricks with me because at the moment my loungewear is getting from bad to worse, I think. But
1: you know, it's... um. It's challenging. You don't really see clothes on disabled models. Um, I can only see clothes on able-bodied people online and, you know, when I go shopping. But I don't know what it's going to look like. And wearing something standing up and wearing something sitting down is two completely different things. What is the most challenging usually? Jeans are particularly challenging for me, although I'm wearing jeans right now. I love the way they look, but they're so uncomfortable, primarily because the fastenings are in the wrong places. The fastenings haven't taken into consideration that someone in a wheelchair might wear this. You can imagine, you know, I know a lot of um, I know a lot of people, able-bodied people, that they go out and then, you know, if they're going to indulge in a big meal, they'll open up their jeans button because it's digging into them.
0: Yeah, but y- you are sitting down all the time, isn't it? So that's a constant feeling. Um, how do you get around that?
1: I haven't found a solution as yet. Um, kind of try and just buy jeans that are softer fabrics or I love jeggings because you can just pull pull them on and there's no fastenings. I've also got quite um, large arms and then due to wheeling the tops that I wear they, um, they have to accommodate my larger arms but they will also have to allow for range of movement.
0: You've also posted on Instagram photos of your scars from surgery and I can't imagine that that was easy to do.
1: You've talked about like fashion and being glam but i think what comes hand in hand with that is also body confidence but i think for me i've always been body confident i don't really care that i'm sitting down or i don't care like about my size or my scars like you know when i was young i would be like covering the scars and now I just don't care. Again, um, coming from an Asian family, it's like, oh no, you've got marks and scars that should be covered up. You know, it's all about presenting yourself in a certain way. But I've changed a lot yeah. since I met my husband because I remember we were going on holiday and he was like, oh yeah, you're gonna wear a bikini. And I was like, no, I've got scars on my, you know, I've got all these surgery scars. I'm not gonna wear that. And he was like, uh, you are joking, aren't you? No, I'm buying you one and you're gonna wear So now I just wear everything and anything. The only time it really cropped up was um, last year before my wedding. And I just, I found it really bizarre. But I kept hearing people say, oh, you know, are you getting wedding ready? Oh, I can't believe you're going to eat that slice of cake. Aren't you getting married this year? And I think there's a whole um, thing. And this is not just, this is for every woman out there, really. There's a whole, there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way and be a certain way. And I found this quite unnecessary and stressful, but I didn't really give into it. Um, I ate what I wanted. You won't believe this. The night before my wedding, we ate pizza. In the morning, I ate a stack of pancakes.
0: Well, why not? And you know what? Just hearing you speak about your confidence, I'm not even surprised to hear you say that. The other thing I have seen you post about is fitness and health. Uh, Do you want to tell us about what you're doing with regards to that?
1: I don't think I promote fitness Enough on my blog to be honest. And I think it's just because I want to look glamorous all the time. <laughs> I just want my main... sound so vain, doesn't it? It's so bad. But I think it's because I just want to all... I don't want to be like looking all like sweaty.
0: And it's so funny. Um <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. But I have seen you post your trips to the park though. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I know you do it with your husband.
1: What we do, we go for a wheel. Wheel and a walk. We go for a wheel and a walk um, every lunch and then on the weekend we try and go on 5k um, wheels.
0: I love the fact that you call it going for a wheel because that is exactly what it is, isn't it? I want to just share an experience that I had actually in regards to this. So when I first read ages ago on one of your posts that you were going for a wheel, I'll be honest, my mind had some sort of response or a reaction to it because I was like, oh, She's going for a wheel. Never heard that phrase before. Um, But then I read it a second time and a third time. And now when I read it, there is just no response. It's so normal for me to see that you've gone for a wheel. And it's the same thing as if I'm reading that someone's gone for a walk or a run. So you normalise that phrase for me. But it's not as simple for you as just going outside, is it? What are some of the things that you have to consider?
1: The ground needs to be fairly flat, not too hilly. Wide enough pathways because obviously, with COVID as well, you want to be able to maintain social distance. So, we have a lot to think about in choosing, you know, thinking where we go for our uh, wheel.
0: So, I want to move on to a different topic then. Um, There is no hiding that there is a social stigma when it comes to wheelchair users and relationships or marriage. So, could you please share your experience with us in terms of how it was initially for you and then your story of how you met your husband?
1: Yes. It was horrible. (laughs) Dating was horrible. Um, You know, just because I was in a wheelchair, it was kind of assumed that, and I'm going to say it even by my family, it was just an assumption that I'd be single because I guess they, along with a lot of people, thought, well, you know, you're in a wheelchair, so of course you're not going to meet someone. Of course you're not going to get married. Like, you know, you have this added baggage. And um, it was really hard because growing up, you know, I'd see my sisters, like, get chatted up or like, you know, you know, Indian culture, always get introduced by parents to a guy, but I was never introduced to anyone. And that's that's hard, growing up and seeing that. Really, really hard to deal with. Um, I didn't have any boyfriends in schools, never got asked out, no one was ever interested. And that was really hard because most of my life was spent with friends who always had boyfriends and partners. So like at uni in the flat I lived with, like everyone had boyfriends. Even in school, everyone had boyfriends and partners. And yeah, I was always third wheel, like all the time.
0: Oh, Narani, we have all been there. And not just third wheel, but fifth wheel and seventh wheel too. Um, so when did you start dating then?
1: I guess my dating life has really just consisted of online dating. Because um, when I started it, it was the rave. Like when I started it, it was really new, fresh, like everyone was doing it and everyone was doing it. Do you know what I mean? I kind of thought, oh, this is really cool because everyone's doing it, even people that don't have disabilities.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. So you didn't feel like you were resorting to it kind of thing, right? Because everyone was doing it. Um, So how did your experience go?
1: When I was on it, I kind of didn't wasn't really open about my disability and stuff, so I wouldn't share, like, details. I wouldn't put full-length photos up. However, then this process came with its own set of challenges because, of course, eventually had to reveal about the wheelchair.
0: And what would happen then when they found out about the
1: wheelchair? They would just block you and ghost you, and then that's just horrible. I gave up eventually, and I thought, you know what? I, I, I'm so focused on finding someone to make me happy. But actually, I, I'm, I need to make myself happy. If I'm not happy, I'm just not going to attract what I'm looking for. I really, and I needed to work on myself. Went travelling, I started going away with my friends on city breaks and I started like powerlifting and it was only like a women-only group and we used to go out for like um, Thursday, like G&Ts, um, even though we'd just been to the gym to like powerlift. And it was great. And I was so happy. And I was making everything happen for myself. And all the girls that I used to go do powerlifting with were all like really independent, really driven. And I was like, okay, this is, the, this is the company that I need. This is great.
0: I absolutely agree with that. I share the same thinking and truly believe that a partnership should be two complete people moving forward together. So tell us about how you met Sam now. I know you told me it was through Tinder.
1: When I was least least expecting anything, Sam swiped on me. But I think the difference with Tinder, I actually all the photos of me in my chair. My bio had a description, and I actually had please only like swipe, um, swipe. You know, swipe right if you're serious. If you're, you know, I had like a. List of things, you know, if you've read my profile, if you've seen if you've read the bio, if you've checked out the pictures, don't waste my time, kind of thing. Then I must have obviously swiped on it, but it was really funny because when he messaged, I said to my friend, Oh my god, I don't even remember like swiping on him. But I just kind of was like, You know, what? I'm just gonna, he, can't... he looked really sweet, he was like really nice. I'm like, I'm just gonna go along with it. I, I was like, I have nothing, I have nothing to lose, as it were. And um, yeah, we met, and I get, I guess the rest is history, but I think I was so accepting of me my chair I was so happy I was so content and I think because I was like that Sam was able to to see that and for him he didn't see the chair because he said all he saw was my personality but he said he was really baffled at first like when we met and stuff because I like got out of my tra- chair and transferred onto the seat and he was thinking oh my god what is she doing is she gonna fall do I need to like come because he was just like he just didn't know um What to do. Um, But like I said, I think it was like I'd accepted my chair and my disability, and I think that went a long way.
0: What a lovely story. And yes, Sam must have seen this energy that you were giving off because of the stage that you were at with your own acceptance. Um, So, for my next question, I was initially quite hesitant to ask it because I don't want to undermine the difficulties that you faced or any wheelchair user faces at all. But you encouraged me to ask it in this objective to normalize disability. So I'm going to ask it. Um, are there any perks of being disabled that you enjoy?
1: Katna, I am so glad you asked this question. Yes, there are perks. And you know what? For me, I say milk it. Milk it all the way. So <laughs> there are so many. Where do I start? Um so if I'm going to bars and clubs, I often get to skip queues, which is great, yeah. especially when it's like cold outside. Um, I get buy one free, buy one ticket, get one free at the cinema, concerts, theatres, which you know, being in London, that concert and theatre tickets are so expensive. So this yeah. goes a long way. Um, I always have, I always have a chair, so I don't need to worry about getting a seat. Don't need to worry about my legs or feet getting tired, which is great. Um, I get to board the plane first. Um, I have a blue badge for my car. And then I have a freedom pass, which I can use on the buses, the underground and the trains. So, yeah, there's there's quite a few perks, which and I use all of them. So it's great.
0: So we're coming to the end of our episode now. Um, And I just want to ask you, as a wheelchair user and someone with a physical disability, What would you like to say to non-disabled people who may be listening?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think my biggest thing is, and I'm such a huge advocate of these words, is be kind and be compassionate. I think, you know, and this shouldn't matter who you're speaking to, but um, think before you speak and before you make assumptions. Um, I think um, people have physical disabilities and that's visible, so it's easy to see, but you need to be mindful that people also have hidden disabilities you know there's no need to treat me or um, any other wheelchair users differently because at the end of the day my wheels just are a mode of transport just like you have your shoes you know you wouldn't go outside without a pair of shoes I have to put my wheels on and and that's that and and there's nothing there's nothing different to it you know I'm a human at the end of the day um, and I think the number one thing is people need to be less ignorant I think all this stuff that, you know, it's ignorance at the end of the day. And the number one thing is educate yourself. I um, i know a lot of people that have disabilities, they don't like being asked questions and that's fine. They're entitled to that. But I want people to ask questions because if you ask questions, you can educate yourself and then not be as ignorant. But um, I think people need to remember that when you do ask questions is that you need to do it in a kind way and have some tact. And not push too much either.
0: And finally, Nirani, as a wheelchair user and someone with a physical disability, what would you like to say to your community?
1: Okay, this, is, um, this is a really good question, Ketna. I'm so glad you, you asked this. Um, I would say reach out in different forums and get to know others with disabilities because, um, so cliched, but a problem shared is a problem halved, isn't it? So you know, you will feel less alone. I'll finish on saying that I don't think there's one solution. And it's definitely an ongoing process.
0: Nirani, thank you so much for sharing your story with us.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. And I just think, you know, even if if it's just um, one person we reach out to, one person we educate, or one person that this makes a difference to, like, that's just a job well done, isn't it? So Um, I I do hope that um, people really gain something valuable out of this.
0: I couldn't agree more and that is exactly what I hope we can do. For all our listeners, disabled or not, get onto your Instagram and go follow Nirani, the girl rolling about town.